Before we start today's podcast, a quick word from our sponsor, MacGyver's Plane Finder. Are you trying to find a missing plane just south of the Indian Ocean? If you're stranded on an island like Tom Hanks and Castaway, well, fret no longer, dear listener, for your Gordian knot has been cut. Introducing the MacGyver Plane Finder, a state-of-the-art program that can find any plane even at the bottom of the ocean floor. Using satellite technology invented by NASA, we can detect any plane or missing ship from anywhere in the world. You no longer need to wonder what happened to your missing loved ones. With the help of the MacGyver Plane Finder, your questions will be answered. Contact us via email at www.lostonesarefound.com for a free consolation. You won't be sorry. Hi, this is Unsolved Mysterious Disappearances, and I'm your host, Ryden Smith. Today, we're going to discuss the disappearance of Malaysia Airlines Flight 370, which disappeared on March 8, 2014. I want you to imagine, just for a moment, it is very early in the morning in Kuala Lumpur, and you're looking forward to, to getting home after a long business trip. You're waiting to board the plane, and you see two pilots entering the plane. One is a younger-looking man, and the other is an older gentleman. Let us meet the two men who have your lives in their hands. The young man is Farik Hamid, a 27-year-old first officer who is flying the plane on his last training flight before becoming a certified pilot. The older gentleman, who is Hamid's trainer, is Zahari Ahmad Saha, a 53-year-old pilot who has one of the most senior captains with Malaysia Airlines. Today, Zahari is not flying. He will be handling the radio communication. Zahari will become an important part of the conspiracy theories we will discuss later, but for now, what we know about him is he was married with three children. Zahari owned two houses, and in one of these houses, he had a flight simulator, where he posted online forms of him flying the simulator. He'd be the kind of man you'd want in the cockpit of your plane, right? So now, you've boarded the plane, and it is time for takeoff. Malaysia Airlines Flight 370 and its 227 passengers, mainly Chinese, left Kuala Lumpur at 12.41 local time for Beijing, China. There are also 12 crew on board. A voice communication with Zahari Saha happened at 1.19 a.m. before the voice communication system was shut off. This is the last communication the world would hear from this plane. At the time of the voice communication, the plane was entering Vietnamese airspace over the South China Sea, flying at about 35,000 feet in the air. We know this because air traffic control uses a secondary radar which uses a transponder signal transmitted by the airplane showing an airplane's number and the altitude it is flying at. Five seconds after crossing into Vietnamese airspace, the symbol for the plane disappeared from the secondary radar. By 2.22 a.m., Malaysian military radar had lost contact with the plane over the Andaman Sea. A satellite operating over the Indian Ocean, operated by Inmarsat, had blips from the plane for another six hours. These blips show the airplane did not have a sudden tragic accident, and also shows where the plane may have been located at 8.19am, when it was never heard from again. Calculations of flight paths indicate the plane would be in Kazakhstan, if the plane went north, or the southern Indian Ocean, if it turned south. Doppler shifts seem to indicate the airplane turned south, and satellite records show it was headed for Antarctica. 
Not the trip home those passengers were expecting, unless they were all penguins. Data from the satellite indicates the plane went into a very steep descent, about five times greater than a normal descent. The plane is believed to have dived into the Indian Ocean and probably broke into millions of pieces. No physical evidence was found to show the satellite is correct, and to this day, no one knows where or why this plane disappeared. Sadly, no one knows to this day what happened to the people inside the plane either. Any investigation into the circumstances around the disappearance of this flight was doomed from the beginning by mismanagement and cover-ups. The air controller in Kuala Lumpur was busy that night and did not even notice when the plane was not on his radar anymore. When he could not see the plane anymore, he thought it had gone out of range, but he never tried to find out. Vietnamese controllers saw it come into their airspace and disappear. They did not try to contact the plane, but got nothing back but garbled words. Vietnamese controllers should have contacted Kuala Lumpur within one hour, but they did not. Instead, it took four hours before emergency response even started. The original search for the plane happened in the South China Sea between Malaysia and Vietnam. It was made up of 34 ships and 28 aircrafts from seven different countries. The original search was in trouble because at this time, Malaysia had a very corrupt regime and there was no reliable information being given out. Since the government did not share the information about the plane flying for hours after losing communication with the air traffic controllers, the first sea searchers were in the wrong area, so any debris showing where the plane went down was lost. The black boxes were lost since no one knew where the plane went down, so that information was lost. The search went on for two months and finally became a deep ocean search to find the plane and the presumed dead passengers. Even these efforts did not find the plane, the passengers, or any answers. It would take until July of 2015, more than one year later, for the first pieces of debris to be found on the island of Reunion. Other pieces would wash up on beaches in the western Indian Ocean. This did nothing but indicate the plane had probably crashed. The debris gave no answers to where the original crash site was, since the debris could have floated from anywhere in over a year. Lack of any evidence or explanation over what happened to Flight 370 has led to many conspiracy theories over the years. Conspiracy theories have always begin with an event has no explanation or information to provide a reason. These theories began with Flight 370 because satellite data was hidden for two weeks from the public after the flight had disappeared. The hiding of this information led to the wrong search area being investigated, which may have provided answers. Again, the corrupt government reared its head. Also, why did the plane not emit a distress signal if it was about to crash? Conspiracy theories persist, because, in that, because how can a plane, with all these instruments and ways of communication, simply vanish? A Boeing 777 should not have electronic, or should have electronic access all the time. So how does one simply vanish without a trace? One theory put forward by Jeff Wise claims the electronic systems on board the plane were programmed to provide false data. Instead of the plane turning south into the Indian Ocean, it actually turned north towards Kazakhstan. Wise calls this a spoof scenario, where the Russians stole the airplane to create a distraction over what was happening in Crimea. 
where why this theory falls apart is in explaining the wreckage found in the Indian Ocean if the plane was flown over to Kazakhstan. His answer is the wreckage was planted to distract investigators from the real area it flew to. Another theory claims control of the plane was seized remotely from the electrical equipment bay. This theory has been dismissed because of the report of fuel level, altitude, speed, and geographic position at its scheduled 30-minute update time. This shows the satellite communication system was functioning. The most likely scenario was at the time, the plane disappeared from secondary radar. One of the pilots was incapacitated, or already dead. It is believed the plane could not have been on autopilot because of the sharp southwest turn it made. Whoever was flying the plane at this time may have locked the other pilot out and depressurized the plane, as well as shutting down the electrical system to break communication with the satellite link. Mike Exner, an electrical engineer in Boulder, Colorado, has studied the radar data and believes the plane climbed up to 40,000 feet. This steep ascent would have caused the passengers to experience G-forces, which would have caused everyone in the cabin to lose consciousness and die within a few minutes, without choking or gasping for air. The flight crew and passengers would not even have known what was happening. Even though the oxygen mask would have come down, they would be useless at that altitude. In the cockpit, there are pressurized oxygen masks with hours of supply whereas the masks in the cabin only lasted for 15 minutes. Was the plane hijacked? This is what Malaysian authorities would like people to believe, because it makes them look less guilty. Now the problem with the theory is no group has ever taken responsibility for what happened. Also, the cockpit door was fortified, electrically bolted, and had a video feed the pilots could look at. Also, how could hijackers have gained access to the cockpit so quickly? Neither pilot had a chance to put out a distress call. Even if the pilots knew the hijackers, a signal could have been sent out by the transmitter switches on the plane's controls. Another problem with this theory is every cabin crew member and passenger have been investigated and cleared by Malaysian investigators. Before you say, well, it's the Malaysian government, they were helped by Chinese authorities who had an interest in finding out what happened to their citizens and the FBI. These investigators did find two Iranian passengers with stolen passports and fake names, but it was determined they were looking for political asylum in Germany. Was there stowaways no one knew were on the plane? Sure, that's possible, but again, they would not have gotten into the cockpit unknown, and no one has claimed responsibility. That is not what hijackers do. Now, we need to look at the two pilots. It is unlikely Farik was flying the plane at this time because he was young and about to get married. Farik had no history of any trouble or dissent. According to Malaysian authorities, Zahari was also beyond approach. He was a family man who made videos with his flight simulator. Two innocent men with no reason to take over a plane and disappear. Or are they? Many people who knew Zahari said he was lonely and sad. His wife had moved into their second house, his children were grown and gone, and supposedly admitted to friends he was alone waiting for his next chance to fly a plane. Zahari spent a lot of time on social media, and he looked at internet, and he looked at internet sites with different women on them. Some people believe he may have become depressed from all this time spent alone. His mental health combined with FBI forensic analysis of his flight simulator shows Zahari experimented with a flight pattern similar to MH370. 
Flying a plane in the same direction as a flight you are about to go on is maybe not suspicious. Victor Lanello, an engineer from Virginia, has found the particular flight simulation was not played out for reaching the Beijing airport. Instead, this simulator was done in multiple stages figuring out where to take away all the fuel until it was gone. This would make everything that happened to the flight make sense. We are still left with questions such as, why did Zahari do this? Was he dead before the plane crashed? The impact of the plane falling so quickly would have shattered the plane on contact. I think this theory makes the most sense, but it brings no comfort to the families of the missing passengers and crew members. No explanation for what happened does not allow someone to grieve properly or to sleep well at night. This is the saddest part of the disappearance of flight MH370. There's a good chance we may never find the answer to these questions.